0: Welcome to this episode of Ability. I'm your host Jacob Holt and in this episode I talk to author Tony Jacobson. Tony is fresh off the publication of his first book Disable Your Disability. This is a really great conversation. I really enjoyed it. We both had a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed as well. Let's jump right in. So
1: how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How, uh, um, I'm going to say, how are you doing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Thanks for doing this with me. This is a lot of fun.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to be talking with you and, and uh, doing this podcast and be able to talk about everything that's happening and what's going on. I, I really enjoy listening to your podcast, so it's uh, pretty surreal and awesome that I'm a guest this time.
0: Well, that's great. Uh, tell me about your disability as if I know nothing.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, it's called osteogenesis imperfecta. Uh, To the layman, it's called brittle bones. And it uh, pretty much is, uh, that's how it's categorized in the world as fragile bones or brittle bones. And, uh, you know, OI is much more than that. It's a a collagen disorder. So it affects not only the bones, it affects other parts of the body because collagen is kind of in everything. Uh, So it can affect multiple parts of the body. But, um, you know, for me, I have osteogenesis imperfecta type one, which is the currently the mildest form of OI and, oh, that's another thing it's called OI for, uh, for most people. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the basics, the foundation of what it is. Does that explain it, uh, enough?
0: Yeah, that makes complete sense. I have type three, so I completely understand. All right. But you know, for the <laughs> listener, I understand. And I do, uh, I'm, I'm also really interested to hear you say that you have type one, because I don't think, I, maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I don't think in your book you specifically spell out which
1: type. Yeah, you know, I, I, I might have. I, I think I may have. Maybe I mentioned it just very quickly, but uh, I'm sure it's in there somewhere, because it's usually part of the story when I'm telling people. So I, I really hope I did.
0: <laughs> like I said, you know, it's it's possible that I just missed it. But, you okay. know, because usually you just I, I address it as osteogenesis imperfecta. So I've kind of been, you know, yeah. guessing in my head as you do, kind of, you know, taking notes. So like, oh, he's got this and this. anyway.
1: Yeah, so. absolutely. And even, you know, with the book, I, I knew that it was going out to a wider audience. So I, I was just trying to get OI across to them initially, you know, like, hey, this is it's got many different types and you know but but it's oi just so everybody knows this is what it is you know
0: i always tell people to watch unbreakable i don't know if you've seen that movie yeah <laughs> oh you know
1: what oh, yeah we could have a whole <laughs> let's do a whole hour on that okay yeah let's Cause do a whole yeah i remember going to the theater and watching that and just like I, it kind of blew my mind and i was like hey wait a minute uh, what's, what's happening right now and yeah i i left that theater yeah. a little speechless um but yeah i i I don't refer to that one to tell people, but usually when you do tell them, "Oh, have you seen Unbreakable?" They go, "Oh, yeah!" And then you they make the correlation immediately, and it's a lot easier to continue the conversation.
0: Yeah, I'm aware Unbreakable is not the best example, but <laughs> I, you know, but it's it's a fairly popular film that people have seen.
1: So absolutely, absolutely.
0: When did you first realize you were different?
1: Uh, wow. I think for me, it was probably. Probably when I started school, I felt like that was when it really started coming into my consciousness that something was, something was different. Um, when I started school, I, I immediately went to a school for kids with disabilities and, and I realized that I kind of fit in there and I was around other kids because prior to that, I wasn't around other kids that had disabilities. So, and, and I didn't get treated any different, kind of, by the people around me. But when I started school and I was around other kids and um, that had disabilities, and uh, I had even met a friend of mine at that time, and she actually had OI also, then it really kind of came into more of my existence of like, oh yeah, something, something's different here. What was it like
0: growing up for you?
1: Uh, Growing up for me was... It was challenging at times. And um, the the story has changed for me throughout my life as far as what growing up for me was like. Because, you know, when I was younger, I had a lot of stories going on that created the... Growing up was a challenge for me story. And as I've gotten older and I've gone through a lot of things and I've dealt with my disability in different ways, it's it's now turned into, you know, growing up for me was a blessing. All the things that I went through due to my disability were a blessing for me now. And I think that's just because I might I might be older and I've had some life experience and, and things have happened for me and I've really kind of gone in on my disability mentally and emotionally and all that and have done work with it. But um, I think that growing up was uh, a... You know, it had its challenging moments, but at the same time, it was a great learning experience for me, and I don't regret any of it, and I don't have any, any feelings towards the, the people that were around me, like my parents and my siblings and my friends. Um, you know, they, they, they did what they needed to do, and, um, you know, they, they kept me alive, and that was great. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that's like the main thing, that the parents got to make sure we stay alive. So my parents made sure I was safe and I was alive, and, um, and you know, I learned a lot, and I was able to be creative, and I, and I spent time watching movies and TV and, and writing and doing a lot of creative things, which I'm now utilizing in my adulthood, so I appreciate my childhood
0: i like that that's your measurement for a good parent you know they remembered to feed me so you know high five
1: yeah, uh, yeah you know i mean I, i'm a, i'm also a parent so now that i've raised my two kids i definitely like understand now what it is to be a parent and um that's one of the main qualifications you know we got to make sure they stay alive like that's you know as long as we're doing that you know
0: <laughs> he's breathing he's fine yeah exactly <laughs> um. Uh, I know, you know, like you mentioned in your book a lot, and you mentioned earlier that you went to a special school, basically for you know for kids with disabilities and stuff. What was that like, and how was the decision to put you in that school made? Uh,
1: as far as the decision to be to have me go to that school, I'm not sure exactly how that went down. Um, you'd have to talk to my parents about that one, but I know that once I. When I went there, like I said earlier, it was very interesting because it was again the the first time I was kind of exposed to other kids that had disabilities, and it made me, you know, really start to feel different, and uh, just kind of made me aware of my disability a little bit more. But at the same time. It was also challenging because we we never really talked about our disabilities. Like, we really just kind of lived our lives and we did our thing. And, you know, the disabilities had their, like, consequences or whatever came with them, their uh, challenges, but we never really spoke about it. So it really, you know, the only thing, like, it it was great. I, I enjoyed it. I made a lot of friends uh, I later connected with a lot of those friends even after going to that school. I feel that one of the kind of negatives about it was that it then, you know, it didn't set me up for when it was time that I was going to go to a school where maybe I was the only kid with a disability um, or one of a handful of kids with dis- with a disability. And I think that's kind of where may- maybe they didn't have it figured out. But, you know, when I was a kid, I don't know, maybe they you know, I'm not sure what happens nowadays, but at that time they really didn't go into that. So I didn't learn the life skills that I needed when it was time to go to a school where there were, you know, quote unquote, normal kids. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know how to really kind of do my thing. And I felt really uncomfortable and really unsafe. And, you know, it kind of threw me for a 180 at that time. So being in the school, it, you know, being at Loman, it was called Loman Elementary in North Hollywood, California. And, um, you know, it was a great experience and I learned a lot. And it really, you know, helped me see what it was like to just kind of overlook a disability and just kind of live and learn. Um, and I really enjoyed it. But, you know, again, it kind of set me up in a negative way when it was time to move on. If you
0: had to do it over, if if it was the choice of, you know, sending a kid to a special school or to not, would you do that again?
1: Uh, gosh, that's a tough one. I I think, I think it would be uh, to not do that because it, like, I feel that, you know, life is more than just the school for somebody. So, you know, even for kids, like school is a big part of their lives, but I feel that, you know, everything outside of school is even more important. So, It's kind of like I would say it would be more about shaping a life instead of just like a school life. So I would say I would rather have gone to a normal school and maybe been introduced to some other kids that could become my friends that had disabilities so that I could just learn about those types of interactions as well. So just kind of, you know, maybe even outside of school or in a different kind of group or uh, some, cor- some sort of community gathering or something like that. Um, I think, you know, back when I was a kid, the, you know, this was the 70s and 80s. So, you know, there was no internet. So it was really hard to find other people that especially had OI. And like nowadays, it's way easier. And I think that a kid with OI today can meet and interact with other so many other people that have the same disability that it makes it a lot easier. You don't necessarily have to say, Oh, here's a school where you're gonna go and you're gonna be taken care of for these certain things. So, I think as far as the interaction is concerned, um, it wouldn't have to be like the, this, like special kind of school, I think. Um, you know. Especially, uh, and now even, you know, the staff and teaching and teachers, they're learning a lot more, they're more educated, they're more, uh, they're more concerned with uh, inclusion and understanding and diversity and they, and they don't, uh, you know, they wouldn't like, uh, they would treat the child more just like a child instead of like, uh, you know, pointing out and, and making it a thing because they have a disability.
0: I know you mentioned growing up in the pre-internet age, which is hard to think about now that there was a time before the internet. Do you know what your parents used to get educated on OI? Because it's not like we had the internet. So, you know, what did your parents use to become educated?
1: Well, from what I know, it was pretty much what was coming from my doctor, who was at that time like one of the OI specialists in the country. His name was Dr. Saul Bernstein and he was uh, out of L.A. here, and he uh, practiced out of Children's Hospital in L.A. And he was really the most knowledgeable and the, the person that was on the cutting edge of things medically and, and with technology. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I think they gained a lot of information from him. I was lucky because my mom was also a nurse. So she just had a medical background, she understood medical, so she would always look for answers um, and she knew where to go for answers, whether it was asking other doctors or uh, I don't know where she would go during that time. Um, To be honest with you, I, I don't even know if the OIF was around then or if there was any sort of organization because they never spoke about that and I never heard anything about the OIF until my adult life. So I think they just kind of did got the knowledge they could from my doctor. My mom found out what she could, and then it was just like winging it, like, all right, let's just figure it out as we go. I bring
0: that up just because there's a parallel to my life. My mother told me after I was born, she went to the library and found the only book that she could find with had anything to do about OI, and it was about this guy in high school that got beat up and broke lots and lots of bones. And remember, she, she telling me that it terrified her. And I just remember thinking, you know, like, imagine if you're a young parent, that's all you have.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, that would that would stop your life immediately. You know, and, and I don't know, my mom may have read that because I feel that she was very careful. She always told me to be careful. And like, that was a huge thing. So and she was always worried about me. So I think, you know, maybe she read that book. I don't know. I got to ask her. That's a good question. What brings you joy? Oh, man. I think I, you know, I get joy nowadays by doing this, like talking about what I've been through and sharing it with people and helping people through that story. I've come across a lot of people just even over the last like four years since I kind of went through my huge physical transformation and through sharing my story and, and doing what I've been doing most recently I find a lot of joy in sharing that and helping others through that story because there's you know people that have OI and then there's just people that maybe don't even have a disability but are feeling stopped by things and they come to me and they then we have a conversation and I help them and they kind of hear my story and they get inspired and they're just You know, and it changes their life. And that's what brings me joy is just seeing someone, you know, get a smile on their face, have something change in their in their mind that changes their life and brings them joy. So I guess the simple answer is when I see other people being joyful and having joy through something I was able to facilitate, then I'm then that brings me joy and also going to the movies. I like to go to the movies.
0: Who doesn't love a good
1: movie? <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> I know you've said you have OI type 1, which is the mildest version of OI, and you're able to walk and get around fairly well, at least now in life. But what, ab- what adaptations have you had to make to the world around you? Because you are significantly shorter than the average height, for example. So what adaptations have you had to
1: make for your daily life? Uh, let's see. Well, yeah, I mean, the height thing is definitely one of the major things. I think, um, just dealing with, yeah, just like, you know, like say in my car, you know, I have to make sure the seats adjusted accordingly. Uh, it's so funny because currently we have one car and my, and it's my wife's car and she loves sports cars. So she has a Scion TC. Now the seats in the Scion TC are kind of bucket seats they're lower. It's a sports car. It's like a race car. And I have a hard time seeing over. So like seeing over the, you know, getting enough height on the chairs because the the seats don't adjust. So I bring with me a cushion that I can use in her car. And it's so funny because, uh, you know, like when she's going to get in, I got to move it. And then when I'm going to drive, I got to move it back. And like, it becomes this thing in the car that's got to keep moving back and forth. So it, it's become like a, a running joke between her and I. But I'd say that's one of the the most significant things I can think of right off the bat. I think also um, just normal everyday things as far as like maybe carrying things. Like if I'm going to hit some stairs and I'm carrying things, like I've gotten a lot stronger over the last few years. But, you know, I still can't like carry something with both hands if it's very heavy and walk up or down a flight of stairs. Um, Even taking a couple steps is a little difficult if I'm carrying something really heavy. Um, And not only is it physically heavy, like I still have a little hang up in my mind and and a fear in my mind when I'm carrying something that maybe is too heavy or I can't see in front of me. It's covering my my field of vision. Uh, And then, you know, if there's stairs coming, like I get a little nervous with that. I think um, buying clothes, like buying clothes is a big one because my arms are significantly longer than the average person, and my torso is shorter, and I have a barreled chest, so I think even when I go to buy clothes, it can be a little difficult because I have to, you know, try on a, a bunch of different things, and, you know, I get stuff tailored now, which is a, a big part of it, and my legs, so my legs are really short, so they don't make, you know, the shortest they go on an inseam is like a 28, but, I mean, mine's you know, a lot shorter than that. So I'll get two to three inches tailored for a hem on my pants. So like little things like that, I think are the biggest things that I deal with um, personally because of the disability and just kind of like the, you know, the, my body structure.
0: I like that you mentioned clothes because there's no such thing as my size either.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) You know, they don't make clothing for the rest of the people of the world that don't have these exact measurements, so.
1: Yeah, it's been a a trip, you know, my my entire life, especially, like, with shoes throughout my life because one of my feet is smaller than the other. So that's always been an issue, having to just always buy, like, you know, I buy one pair, and then that size is, you know, that foot's going to have a little bit more room, so... What does that mean, you know? And I, I'm sure a lot of people um, with OI deal with that one.
0: Both my feet are two different sizes too, but since I don't have to walk, it doesn't matter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually purposefully buy my shoes a slightly too big just so they're more comfortable. It's not like I have to walk on them. So
1: yeah, yeah. See, that's that's the thing. I've I've found that there's times when I've had to, especially uh, again the last few years, be more active, doing more exercising. I've had to really pay attention to that and make sure that I'm getting the right size shoe. That um, you know, because I really pay attention to my walking now and making sure that I have something that's going to give me the stability that I need. So um, it really has you know come more into play. And I know you know even someone that doesn't have OI or doesn't have a disability, they think about those things. But for me, it's kind of a little an extra little step that I have to think of.
0: Do you ever just buy two different pairs of shoes in different sizes?
1: I, you know, I haven't, I haven't done that. Like, I feel maybe I can't afford it or I'm just like, man, I don't really want to spend that much on shoes. Um, I just recently found out that Macy's, I think, will actually sell you different sizes if there's a significant size difference uh, as one pair. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but I heard it from somebody. Um, But yeah, I personally have never done that.
0: Well, that's great. Well, well, I agree. That would seem like a waste to me. You buy two different pairs of shoes and only wear two of them. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I've heard of people doing that. I would n- probably never do that, or at least try really hard not to, so I get it. Yeah, absolutely. If you could have any job, if education, cost, physical ability were not a factor, just pure enjoyment, what would you most like to do?
1: I think... What I'm doing now is what I'd most like to do, just on a bigger level. So being an author, writing books, and getting out and being a professional speaker. I think that, you know, it does take a certain amount of education and cost is involved, but I think if I could immediately make that happen with the snap of my fingers, that's what I would want to. I'd want to stand on a stage with Tony Robbins and, or, you know, get on stages with some of these, these bigger professional speakers and, and just do my thing and just talk to people and again, share my story and share my ideas and help people transform their lives. I think that's, that's really the the thing that I would want to do. And, and I'm doing it now. And it's just starting out, and it feels great. But I would, you know, if I can snap my fingers and make it one hundred times bigger tomorrow, then then I would love that.
0: You were kind enough to send me a copy of your book, and I really appreciate it. How would you describe the book?
1: Well, I, I I think that the description that I that I have on the back of the book really describes it best, and I wrote that really, like right before I was going to send it in for, for publishing, because it encapsulates what the book is about. And, um, and I'll read, let me, let me see. I got it right here. I just want to read it. It says, disable your disability is a journey into self-discovery, a look into the gift of embracing circumstances that hold us back and powerful concepts with surefire methods for taking action toward living the healthy life we deserve. And that really is what it is because it's my story the first half of it is my story, talking about like my journey and, and self discovery. And then it's looking at the gift of in, what embracing that means. And then really, I go into the second half of the book is offering concepts and methods to kind of do what I did as far as embracing what's holding you back and moving forward towards living a healthy life because I found. You know, I wasn't the only one who has a disability and was living a very unhealthy life, and that didn't need to be the case. So I think this book is really that, you know, and I, and I structured it as such. I really needed to tell my story so that people knew i have been through it and this is what I did. And then the second half of it is really like getting down to business as far as some concepts that I've come up with and some methods and ideas to start people thinking and literally, here's some things to start eating better, and here's some things to get moving, because those are, the, those are the three things you need. You need to get moving, you need to start eating better, and you need to get your mind right. So that's how I would describe the book.
0: Yeah, that back-of-the-book description is actually really apt. I think it's really great. My, you, know, I, you know, When I'm reading, I try to take notes and then kind of my, my synopsis, and you can tell me if this is wrong or right, which is kind of this idea of getting to a place of wellness and happiness. That's what the book is. It's a journey into that.
1: Does that-, that, that is absolutely correct. It's about, it's about living a, a happy and healthy life every single day. It's about waking up and being happy and healthy every single day. So I I absolutely agree with you. I love that. I may rewrite the back of it now. Um, So, you know, based on that, (laughs) (laughs) but I I really, I really enjoy that. And I think, and I'm glad that you got that because, you know, that's another thing with putting this book out, you know, different people are going to get different things. And I really, I'm really glad that you were able to see that it's really about being happy. It's about, uh, you know, and especially having a disability, I think that holds a lot of people back and not even just from being healthy, but from being happy. And that's really what it's about. It's using um, using the methods and ideas to become healthier, which in turn makes you happier. So absolutely, I, I agree with that.
0: Well, I'm glad you do because it's really nerve wracking to tell an author what you think his book is about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, you got it. I, you got it. And that's great. I love it
0: yeah uh I don't think I mentioned it so I'll go through it again. Uh, the book is called Disable your Disability It's really great and I've just took some notes and I just want to talk to you a bit about the things that I wrote down you know like but as I got closer to the end, I was less frequent in my notes, but I'll go through some of my uh things that I thought was most interesting uh, you know when you play wheelchair basketball, which is really fun you know because to me that would be terrifying. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, had, I enjoyed it. It was really a time when it was the first time that I really started to get physical uh, and do some sort of exercise. And around that time in my life, it was during high school is when I started. So I was a little bit stronger, a little bit more steady, especially my upper body. So And I had been using a wheelchair for so long that my upper body was definitely a lot stronger. So when it came to playing basketball, yes, there was definitely the the be careful thing was always there and uh it was a little terrifying when i started because a lot of the other players on the team like nobody else had oi so they didn't really understand the whole you know oh i gotta be careful thing so they would just you know ram into me they would tip me over they they would go for a ball they would do whatever they needed to do they were flying all over the place and I wasn't doing that because I just couldn't do it. Otherwise, I would get hurt. So there was definitely a level of um, being being scared, being fearful. But I think playing on the team really helped because it pushed me. It pushed me a little bit at that time to to you know see what I could do. And I I don't think I ever broke anything while playing. I'm trying to remember back right now, I don't think I did. Um, But I did tip over a couple times, you know, I went back a couple times and I didn't break anything. And, uh, you know, I think I did like hurt my shoulder at some point, but it wasn't a fracture. So, but playing just really, it just gave me that first experience of like what it was just like to be active and playing a sport. So I really, really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah in the book you mentioned uh that while you were playing wheelchair basketball like a guy you know like jumped out of his chair to dive for the ball and i cringed even just reading that the thought of that made me explode
1: so <laughs> yeah i i mean i was watching these guys like do that and you know i was thinking you know well if they if i'm going to be respected by these guys and, and be a team player you know i'm going to have to do those things too and that's where it kind of got a little wonky where it was like well I don't, I'm not, I can't, I can't do that. I'm not just going to throw myself out there and hurt myself for the respect of like these team members. And it was just, it was great because, you know, eventually a lot of the team members, they understood that and they respected me because I became a very good shooter. Like I could hit three pointers and I could shoot from anywhere on the court. So I kind of held my own in a different way. And um, again, just being on that team and understanding that and, and learning, understanding and being around People uh, that had various disabilities, and uh, it was just a great experience to to go through that.
0: In your book, you mentioned you know like having to do PE through uh, grade school. How did your school handle PE for you? You know, for physical education.
1: Well, yeah, they there really wasn't um, like an official PE class. Like when I was at Loman Elementary which was the school for kids with disabilities, there wasn't an official PE. We would have like separate um, physical therapy sessions. So but we would each like individually go in and, and meet with a physical therapist and do things. I think that there was, as I got older, like into fifth and sixth grade, there was a swimming pool at the at the school. And I remember like brief times of, you know, like a group of us would go in and do a physical therapy session, like in the pool, but there was really no PE. So when I went from Loman and then went into like uh, just mainstream school and there was PE, that's where things got weird again because they really didn't, like it was regular PE and then they didn't know what to do with me. So there was always like that little it was always just weird, just like, <laughs> they just never knew what to do, you know, and, uh, it was just always a challenge. So later on in high school, that's when it, it became clearer for me of what I wanted to do and accomplish. And lucky for me, I met a few people that really got me to be more physical because I really wasn't physical. Cause we all know, even with physical therapy, it's very limited. It's very limited on what you actually do physically. And, um, so that's what my experience had been up, up until that point.
0: Yeah, I find that most schools and education systems don't know how to deal with that. I know in high school, they didn't even let me go to PE. You know, they were worried I was going to get hurt. So they shoved me over in the library. It was great.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that's what happened with me, too, when I started in high school, because, um, and I, and I talk about this in the book, where I was literally in the coach's office, like, shuffling papers and, and doing, you know, alphabetizing for him during PE because, you know, they didn't they didn't know what to do with me. Especially in my high school, I was the only kid using a wheelchair, so he absolutely had no idea what to do with me. And, uh, you know, once he found out about the brittle bones, I'm sure it had to do with that as well, just make, making sure I'm safe and just kept me in the office. So, yeah, it's, it's a very strange thing. And, um, you know, I hope that doesn't happen these days. I, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've been in school, but, um, you know, I hope that nowadays there's, there's more awareness of what can be done.
0: In the book, you talk a lot about having to balance. Well, I'm well, sorry. Hang on, let me start over. In the book, you talk a bit about having to balance help, you know, n- needing help and then wanting to be independent. How has that balance been for you throughout life, trying to get reconcile when you need help and when you want to be left alone?
1: Well, I think that, you know, throughout my life, when I was younger, it was just, it was just default that I would need help. And I would always just expect it. I would always expect that someone would be there to help me, regardless of what it is, just kind of like, you know, and most, mostly physical things. But just kind of anything, as I got older, it turned into kind of, oh, well, I'm just always helped. I'm always helped. And then it turned into, again, just, you know, as normal human beings, as we get older, we want to be more independent. So I started getting into that and wanting to be more independent and really denying help. And what that turned into was then I was denying help where I actually needed it. And then that wasn't good because then I was getting myself into situations where I did need help, but I was too proud to ask for it. Or I just was rebelling against help because I had so much help throughout my life and I wanted to be independent. So I was just getting myself into these situations and, and I didn't realize that I needed help. So now it's kind of come full circle and it's really different now because now I understand that asking for help is not a, a, a weakness, because I kind of felt that, you know, throughout my like 20s and 30s. And now I understand that asking for help, there can be strength in that. And it really comes down to how do you, what is your intention behind asking for that help? So yes, in the book, I do talk about that because I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, and I see a lot with people that have disabilities they, uh, especially in their adult years. They don't want to ask for help. They're independent. They can do it on their own. They feel helpless when they have to ask for help. Uh, they feel weak. If they do, they they have all these emotions tied behind it. But I think that if we're going into it with wanting the help as, opposing, as opposed to needing the help, I think that's the key. Uh, that was the key for me of understanding that, you know, I really want this help. It's not that I need it, but I I would like it. It would be a nice thing. It would it would again bring me joy to be able to have help in this area, to help me accomplish this thing uh, in an easier fashion. You know, or if I didn't know how to do something, uh, if I couldn't do something physically, I needed to you know come to grips with the idea that it was okay that I wanted help getting this thing done. And I think it was just that switch of changing from needing the help to wanting the help that has given me that clarity and that strength in knowing that asking for help is actually not a weakness it's a strength
0: typically the way i describe help to people is that there's nothing that i that you can do that i can't sometimes it's just a little more difficult
1: (laughs) exactly yeah exactly it just has to be done maybe a different way. You have some really great stuff in your
0: book. You talk about meeting uh, Lucille Ball. That's, that's pretty fun.
1: Oh, yeah. She, she was great from what I remember during that time. And, uh, and I'm lucky that I do have those pictures. And everyone who gets the book, they'll be able to check out those pictures and, and hear that story or read that story. It was a great time. It was um, just amazing because you know I had such a history up to that point of I Love Lucy and Lucille Ball, so it was just great to to meet her in person.
0: There's one more other thing that I, I wanted to bring up, which is in the book you mentioned that you lived with a bent rod in your leg for a while. Why was that choice made, that it was not going to
1: be repaired for a little while? The specifics around it, I'm not sure. It was like in high school, like the, the beginning of high school, and the rod got bent... And I don't know if it had to do with maybe insurance coverage during that time, um, cost, uh, expense to have the procedure done. Um, I know that, like, during that time, it was after my parents' divorce, and a lot of things were in upheaval, like in my family. Um, Bit with my mom and with my siblings and my my dad and uh, my stepdad was on the scene by that time. So I don't know if it was that. Or if it was more of a choice of mine, where it was like, well, I can, I'm fine without having to do it. I've got a lot going on. I was, you know, I was in high school, starting high school. I wanted to just live my life. Um, you know, I don't know exactly the specifics around that choice at that time. Um, I just know that, that that happened for me, and it was just a period of time where it's like. Yeah, it's just there. And then I think there was a time when, because as I when I graduated high school, it was still there. And then I went into college, still there. And I was walking on crutches, and it was still there. And yeah, it just became like a normal thing. So I, I think that's what happened. Like it, I, Whatever the choice was to not do it at the time, I'm not sure. But then as time went on, I just was living life. And it wasn't bothering me. Like it wasn't a significant enough to where I couldn't do the things I needed to do on a daily basis, so it just kind of stayed that way.
0: For listeners, by the way, when I say a bent rod, he had a he had a, he has metal rods in his legs, just like I do. You have metal rods in your legs that keep uh, that help keep you you know strong and your bones straight. And you know you, you know uh, I actually bent a rod in my leg in my childhood, but it was repaired pretty quickly it was pretty bad so
1: yeah this one this situation was crazy and and I don't even remember how I bent I don't even remember the break and how it bent it was a really thin rod at the time and um yeah that was in my femur and it was and it was pretty significant but again it just kind of got it got to be normal
0: yeah for me I uh, I I got a, a swing set for my 6th birthday I believe or no it wasn't 6 it was it was it was a really young birthday. I got the swing set super pumped we built the swing set I was on the swing set I fell off the swing set broke my leg so, uh, and I broke the rod basically into a C shape it was really bad so uh, we had to fix that so that's yeah. why we, so when, so when you say the rod's bent like that's my thoughts so I'm like how did you live with that like yeah yeah you know, so I can't imagine <laughs> anyway it was
1: a, it, I think it was about a thirty degree somewhere around thirty degree bend and so it was. It was significant, but still not enough to, to make it, uh, I could still function with it.
0: Well, I'm happy that you had it fixed now and that you're able to get around well. So, and that, you know, that didn't cause any problems later down the road.
1: Yeah, no. And it was, and it was getting it fixed that actually got me, to, got me walking. You know, it was getting that rod fixed when I was 24 that, you know, made my legs the same length and, and got me walking off the crutches. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. But um, that was, you know, getting that fixed later is what got me on my feet. So I was very glad to have it done.
0: This is the last common experience thing I want to bring up. But you mentioned in the book how uh, the smell of anesthesia, you know, would like really, really upset or bother you. And I just want to say that I feel that too. There are some times where I'll, you know, take a breath in and sometimes smell something that may be
1: even similar to that, and I get a little nauseous. So. Yes, yes. I, I'm so glad that I'm not the only one, and that's why I wanted to say tell this story in the book because uh, for me, it's wasabi, okay, wasabi, like at any sushi restaurant, and that is the one thing that triggers that thought for me like every single time, and it's so crazy because... Like you're saying, it will just bring up those thoughts and get you a little nauseous. And like my thought that happens, um, and you can tell me if it's too much information, I don't know. But like whenever I was coming out of anesthesia, there was a couple times when they didn't pull the air tube completely out before I started waking up. So it was this memory of like the tube coming up out of my throat and out of my esophagus and it's, you know, doing its thing with air and like I'm choking on it. And that was like really traumatic for me when I was younger. And so those things will still come up for me nowadays, even when I like get a little wasabi, like in my soy sauce, it's the craziest thing.
0: Yeah. I kind of describe it as something akin to kind of PTSD, you know, like, yeah. you know, in, in a very mild form, I'm not in any way, you know, like equating it to some, you know, you know bad incident, yeah. but it, it's, 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 it's kind of that similar feeling.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, people experience that even with people that have OI, you know, and I've seen like through the Facebook interactions and everything, I've seen people mention those, those kind of PTSD feelings when certain things will happen or they'll see someone else break a bone and they have that same feeling come back or, yeah, I think it's definitely um, a conversation that, that should be had, you know, and, and dealt with really.
0: Also, I feel like having a tube down your throat is the worst.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I can't even, I mean, that, that's why to this day, like I, if I can avoid surgery, like I will, <laughs> you know, like I, I don't like going under, I don't like anesthesia, I don't like the feeling of all of that stuff. So yeah, that's, um, that's one of my things.
0: I think that's all the major book-related questions I have, but I have some other typical questions that I do. Uh, How do you think people see you?
1: I think people see me as someone who's friendly and energetic and approachable and maybe is a little different, but they're not sure why I'm different, like physically. Maybe they'll they see that I have long arms, you know, in in relation to my the rest of my body, or they see that I walk maybe with a little slight limp uh, or a little differently. So I think people see me as someone that's like a super cool, approachable person, but there's something there that's like different. So I think that's how they see me.
0: How do you wish people would see you?
1: I want people to see me kind of, I think it's okay that they see me like that now. You know, I really, there used to be a time in my life when I didn't want the disability to be a thing in my life. And so if it was before, I would say, I want them to see me just as a nice, cool, fun, uh, creative guy that can just, you know, is capable of anything. But I think now, like if they see me as being different, that's okay. And I appreciate that because that's intriguing and that will spark a conversation or it will spark a question and they'll ask me about it. And I think that's okay because now I want to talk about it. And now I want to you know, express myself and, and share my story and, and really talk about who I am as a whole. So I think that it's okay that they see me as, uh, as I think they see me now.
0: Who inspires you, or who do you look up to?
1: Well, I think for sure, um, my biggest inspiration is my wife, uh, T Marie. She is definitely been someone since I've been with her, and we've been together now for 16 years. And I think that you know I've always looked up to, I've looked well not up to her, I've looked to her for guidance and inspiration for many things, creatively, uh, physically, uh, spiritually, which is a, which is a big part of it. Um, so she's kind of like my, my rock of inspiration. And then outside of her, I really look towards people that, you know, I, I feel could be like my virtual mentors that, you know, like a Tony Robbins, Tony Horton. Um, there's certain, you know, smaller level people like a Lewis Howes or, uh, Casey Neistat, or uh, Gary Vee, you know, like these guys that they inspire me to do other things in my life. So I think as far as inspiration, it's really like my wife is like the real person. And then I think it's a lot of virtual mentors that give me inspiration, you know, kind of, uh, kind of in life. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot. The list is the list is huge of people that I, I'm easily inspired. like I like to be inspired and I like to get motivated and I like to do things and make moves so I, I mean it could be you know it could be the guy down the street or uh, the bar the barista at Starbucks one day that would inspire me to do something, you know I think I'm open to it, so I get inspired by a lot.
0: What is the biggest challenge you've had to overcome?
1: The biggest challenge I've had to overcome is or was the idea that I was separate from my disability or that my disability wasn't me. And I think that that was the biggest challenge I had to overcome because by doing that for a lot of my life, by denying my disability, and by trying to say that it wasn't a thing in my life, I had to, you know, it put me into situations Again, where I had to face the consequences of my disability, but I didn't want to accept them. So the biggest challenge was really embracing my disability full on and saying, it is who I am. It is part of me and I'm not going to deny it anymore. And once I did that, my whole life transformed. So that was my biggest challenge. And and I'm glad that I faced that and got through that because now, you know, life's good. I'm happy every day.
0: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say at the pearly gates?
1: I want him to say, him or her, I don't know. I want him to say, uh, you did a good job. You did a great job. You did exactly what you were supposed to do. Welcome. Uh, There's a movie theater right over there. You can watch whatever you want.
0: We have the (laughs) Godfather on repeat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's fun
1: yeah
0: that's awesome uh that's all the main questions i have uh we could talk about the new lassie if
1: you would like i don't <laughs> oh man uh, you know what you people can go see that on youtube if they want <laughs> yeah i
0: watched it on your youtube channel you actually posted it so yeah. you know well i say i watched it i skimmed through it to the parts where you were in and <laughs>
1: i'll tell you what if anybody does watch it just get to the end just go to the end it's the it's the best part it's the the funniest part i talk to the dog i i go and i you just have to watch the ending i get a (laughs) kick out of watching it now it was a long time ago
0: (laughs) that was probably a really good show to like uh to like learn and grow in acting because i don't think there was anybody that fantastic in it no hard feelings to anybody
1: no, absolutely, absolutely. It was a great time to just, it was a great experience. I you know, didn't even really think about pursuing acting at that time, but it got my feet wet. It, it really um, it gave me a great experience. I actually got to act with uh, with Robin Thick. Robin Thick is in that show with me, and it's the craziest thing because that was his first TV appearance way back then and uh, i actually got to act with him in there so i didn't even know that until uh, probably a few years ago but uh, it was it was great it was a great experience and i got to play with the dog you know lassie was great yeah.
0: so you could say you have the uh, that you shared the first acting credit with robin thick
1: exactly <laughs> i've got a great icebreaker for when i meet robin thick right i mean <laughs> Do you remember me? <laughs> no, of course you don't. <laughs> yeah, I want to see. I want to see if he does. I'm trying to get a hold of him so I can so I can ask him and see if he remembers that.
0: Well, thanks so much for doing this with me. This was a lot of fun. I hope that you had fun and got something out of it.
1: Yeah, this was absolutely absolutely a great time. Thank you for having me. I want to tell everybody. You know, get the book. It's called "Disable Your Disability: Live the Healthy Life You Deserve." It's on Amazon. And you can also come to my website and get it. Uh, it's the website is disableyourdisability.com, and you can get the book there. You can also check out the other stuff that I offer through the website. I offer um, coaching, and I offer coaching call. I offer like training programs and stuff because I also do healthy living and and personal training. So there's a lot of things through the website. If you if you'd like to come, if you'd like to hire me to come speak at an event. That would be awesome. You could get information about that on the website as well. So, yeah, come to the website, you know, get linked up with me on Facebook and come to, you know, my personal page on Facebook, Tony Jacobson. And I also have Disable Your Disability on Facebook. So all the social media, you can, you can find me on all the social media. So get linked up. I, I look forward to, you know, meeting as many people as possible and, and helping as much as I can. You
0: also have signed copies of the book available, so if you're into that,
1: yeah, if it. yeah, if someone wants a signed copy, you can get that from the website, and yeah, I'll 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 put my signature on it and send it out to you. So definitely,
0: don't know why you'd want that from this mean guy. No, I'm kidding with you. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding with you.
1: <laughs> and I don't know if you're going to be able to read what I write because my handwriting is horrible. But oh. I will make sure your name is spelled correctly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, thanks so much. I hope to talk to you again soon. This is fun. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Thanks, Jacob. I appreciate it. Until next time.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ability. If you're interested in purchasing Tony's book, Disable Your Disability, you can on Amazon or at the show notes at abilitypodcast.com forward slash with Tony Jacobson. You can follow Tony on Twitter at I am Tony Jacobson. You can follow me on Twitter at the Jacob Holt, And you can follow the podcast on Twitter at AbilityPodcast. You can send any feedback and questions to AbilityPodcast at gmail.com. And please feel free to leave a review in iTunes for the show. It really helps, I promise. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, keep on rolling.